Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Welcome all those who are here this morning, but Luke chapter number 15. As we begin this morning, how many of you believe Christians should share their faith? Can I see your hands? How many believe Christians should share their faith? Hold your hands up. Hold your hands up. Hold them up. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, you're putting them down. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Look around and pat yourself on the back. That is awesome. That is great. You guys are amazing. I, I'm so thankful that we have a church where a majority of you believe Christians should share their faith. And, and statistics say 72% of Christians believe that we should share our faith. 72%. That's incredible. Great job, guys. You're right there with the statistics, okay? That's incredible. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand on this part of it, though. This is the part I'm going to let you off the hook. How many, and don't raise your hand, you believe you have a responsibility to share your faith. You believe Christians should share your faith. But here's the next part. How many actually do share your faith? You don't have to raise your hand. Because statistics say less than 52% of Christians actually share their faith. How sad is that? I know it's not a very positive way to start off a service. However, this is a season where we step back and we say, wait a minute, evangelism is what's important. It's the heart of who we are. And it starts right here with you and I saying, who's our one, not our 100, not our 1,000. Who's that one person we want to reach? That heaven would not be complete without that one person. That we just want to see that one person there. And that would make all the difference for us. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to use a little card like this. We're going to write somebody's name. And we're going to spend 30 days praying and asking that God would save that one. You know, for me, I heard a message when I was real little about reaching people. And I have a grandfather who passed away, but he was an atheist his entire life. I don't know if he ever received Christ as his savior. But I remember as a little child, we had a guest speaker come in and he taught on evangelism. Every time you talk to my grandfather about Christianity, he would get very upset. He would curse at you. It didn't matter if you were a child. It just grieved him. He said he fought at Pearl Harbor, and he said, I can't imagine going through that and there still being a God. And that was just his hang-up. He said, I just can't imagine seeing what I saw, and then you're telling me there's a God. So I didn't know how to witness to him, but as a small child, I remember asking my mom to see if I could write him a letter. And in the letter, I was going to enclose a track. Now, when I say track, I'm not talking about a train track. I'm talking about a little pamphlet that would have the plan of salvation, maybe the Romans Road or four spiritual laws on it. It was a way that I wanted to reach him because I couldn't imagine heaven without my grandfather. And so I sent him the track, never heard anything about it. But every time he was around, we would try to invite him to church. We would try to witness to him. Finally, at our wedding, I was like, you know, he's going to be there, so I'm going to slip an invitation in in our wedding ceremony. It's not very normal to have a wedding ceremony, and then we have an altar call and invite people to receive Christ at a wedding. But I said, my grandfather's going to be there, and we're going to try to do it. I was so grateful that my wife agreed to have an invitation as part of her ceremony. He didn't receive Christ. We witnessed countless times. But the reality is that you and I are called to tell people about Jesus. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus, the Son of Man, his purpose is to seek and to save that which is lost. When he ascended up into heaven, Acts chapter number 1, he said, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. You see, we are sent, why? So that we can send others. That's the goal. That's what we're called to do. We're we're called to be sent ones to tell others about Jesus. Can you turn down the mic? It's a little bit hot. Thank you. Appreciate it. And so over the next couple weeks, what we're going to be focused on is how to do that. Because some of us, it's not that we lack desire. It's that we don't understand the know-how to share our faith with others. And so in this series, we're going to be teaching you how to share your faith. But along with sharing your faith, 
every Sunday, we're going to give an invitation for people to receive Christ as their Savior. So your Bible's open to Luke chapter number two. Luke chapter two, it's Christmas. Welcome. We're a little bit early. No, let's go to Luke chapter number 15. And would you stand out of respect for the word of God? Luke 15, beginning verse number one. I'm reading here. The Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be many rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Then over ninety and nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not 100, not 1,000. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Let's continue reading. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give to me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Father, bless the reading of your word. Would you look to somebody next to you and say, man, I'm so glad I don't look like you. Would you just look at, look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm just glad I don't, no, just kidding. Give him a high five, give him a hug, and then have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Don't be offended. I'm glad you're here. Y'all look great. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The writer of Luke's gospel is actually a doctor. And the thing about doctors is they have to pay attention to details. Doctors are all about details. If they miss an ache, a pain, or misdiagnose something, it could lead to either the disease or that ailment being prolonged. So doctors are all about details. Luke's writing is a very detailed writing. Luke's gospel is filled with rich details. He also wrote the book of Acts, which is filled with rich details. I'm a detailed person. I can tell when something's out of place. The side exit, as you go out on this left side, my left, your right. If you look up among the emergency exit sign, the paint's all chipped. You may not have noticed it, but I noticed it. I noticed details. If a light bulb's out, I notice it. If I go somewhere and repeatedly I see that they haven't fixed something, I notice it. I notice when the little connect cards that are in the back of the seat, when they're not straight, I actually want to straighten them. 
Like right now, Jacob, the one in front of you, it's not straight. Can you reach forward and just straighten that for me? You know, it just needs to be straight. You know, I just notice these little details and it doesn't quite stop. I pay attention to details. And I'm so glad that our God is a God of details. You see, details matter to God. You say, I don't understand. It's not such a big deal. Details is not a big deal. Well, let me ask you this. When you work hard and your boss comes to you with your paycheck and says, here's your check, and you look at it and you say, hey, this is, this is off. See, you care about details, don't you? <laughs> when you go out to eat and the waiter brings you the bill, and the bill's way higher than you expected. You say, wait a minute, you overcharged me. You see, you do care about details. You see, as children of God, we should care about the details. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're upset because they notice something about Jesus. They notice that things matter to him. Let's go back to verse number one. It's powerful how, how this passage opened. It says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear who? Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners gathered around Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes them. My friend, the Pharisees just preached the gospel in two words. Excuse me, three. This man welcomes. That's the gospel. Whosoever will. It's the gospel. They got it. This man, what they meant as a put down is really Jesus saying, that's what I'm come to do. I'm deity that wasn't put down, but I was sent down to save people. And here in this passage, we realize that Jesus is saying, I do welcome sinners. You and I should thank God that he welcomes sinners because you and I are not perfect. We are sinners. And Jesus welcomes sinners this morning. You see, this passage is so powerful. It speaks and we can just read right through it and we don't see the details of it. It says he spoke and here are the disciples, here are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They don't realize that people matter to Jesus, especially the missing matter to Jesus. Every year in the United States of America, the FBI estimate that there are 460,000 children that go missing every year. It's staggering, half a million every single year missing from our country. Half a million. But yet you and I, we look at those details and they don't affect us. We're kind of used to it. We're used to hearing people losing their lives and being snuffed out into eternity. We as a church have to get used to the details. We have to say, no, one person does matter. One person dying in their sins is one too many. One child losing their life is one too many. As the church, we step back and say, no, evangelism is who we are. Evangelizing is what I do. This is what I'm called to do. But yet you and I, instead of evangelizing, we're making excuses. You see, one of the excuses we like to make is, nobody else is doing it. Why should I? Another excuse is, I need to put my family first right now. I'm too busy. I'm not able or comfortable with having conversations about religion or spiritual things with people. God is more interested in being than doing. I need to go deep for a while. I don't need to be evangelizing. These are all excuses. Let the TV preachers or the pastors evangelize. Here's another one. My life is too messed up to tell others about Jesus. And then the last one, God is just gonna save everybody, so it's gonna work out fine. They're all excuses, they're all inaccurate. And yet the church has settled for these excuses. We settle in. I want you to write this statement down. People won't know that they matter to God until they know that they matter to you. Because you and I are an extension of God. So when people matter to us, they realize that then they must matter to God. But yet the church too often, we don't understand that we need to show people that they matter. So I love the fact that verse number two 
the Pharisees and Sadducees said, this man. And if you're taking notes, that's the first point, this man. It's a demeaning term. They wouldn't even call him Jesus Christ. They wouldn't even call him Joseph's boy, Mary's son, this man. Mumbling to themselves, ah, this man. Who does he think he is? This man. And they were not only insulting him, but they're also insinuating something about this man, aren't they? They're insinuating that he eats with tax collectors and sinners because he wants to not just be with them, but he wants to be like them. They're insinuating his character. But yet Jesus had a deeper purpose because these people were drawn to him. He received them. He welcomed them. You see, Jesus receives sinners so they won't remain sinners. Jesus receives them so they won't remain that way. We come to Jesus so that he can fix us up and so he can change us. Isaiah 53 gives an accurate picture of who Jesus is. It says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. <coughs> like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace on, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's who this man was. And yet you and I, we just look at Jesus. We just think, this man. If you go to John chapter number four, there's a woman, a Samaritan woman by the well. And then that woman receives the living water. She goes back into the city of Samaria. And when she goes back into the city, she says, come here, a man who told me everything I ever did. Come meet this man. Immediately, she wanted everybody to know about this man. When is the church of Jesus Christ going to say, we need to tell everybody about this man? The world may look at it and say, I don't understand who this man is. And that's where the born again child of God stands up and say, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. Let me tell you how he changed my life. Let me tell you how he set me free. Let me tell you what he did for me and he can do for you. That's who this man is. But yet too often, you and I, we look at this man as culture looks at this man. You see, what I love about Jesus is he was making an illustration. You see, the biggest shame is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees reduce the people that God loves down to a list. He simply said, you know what? There's a list of people that God loves and there's a people that God does not love. And in the Pharisees and Sadducees' mind, these are the religious people. They're saying, God doesn't love sinners and tax collectors. Now, I can kind of see it when it comes to the IRS and tax collectors. Sometimes I'm like, I don't think God loves you. I, I just don't. I saw my IRS bill, and I, I just don't know if God can love you. I'm being sarcastic. But don't we do that? We put people on a list, and God is saying, there is no list. God is saying, tear up the list, cut it in half, because I don't make lists. God says, I love everyone. There's not a category of the good, the beautiful, the lovely. There's not a category of, oh, these people are, oh, I don't know if God loves them. No, God loves the world. He's not talking about this terrestrial globe. He's talking about the people in this world. God loves people. However, it's Christians who are still making lists. God loves Republicans, not Democrats. God loves Democrats, not Republicans. And the independents are like, what are we, chopped liver? God only loves white straight people. No, God only loves LGBTQ people. No, no, God loves everybody. And God wants to see them all saved. There's no list. And the moment you think you're on the list, let me tell you right now, you're probably not. Because God wouldn't teach you to make a list of who he loves and who he does not love. God loves people, 
period. And people won't know that they matter to God until they know that they matter to you. So when you keep making your list, you're saying, well, I don't like my supervisor. I don't like my ex. I don't like this person. I don't like this person. Then you are showing something about the nature of God that you claim to have. They are judging God by you. And you say they shouldn't do that, but that's what they do. And you and I, if we are going to reach the world, if we're going to reach San Jose, if we're going to reach your neighborhood, if we're going to reach your coworkers, if we're going to reach the people that own the businesses on Blossom Hill or Almaden, then you and I have to be the type of people that say, we're not here to make a list. We're just here to show you that Jesus welcomes sinners. That's it. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what you do. He welcomes people. And then Jesus does something profound. Jesus, as he's sitting there, he's welcoming them. And the Pharisees are saying, I can't believe Jesus would even eat with them. I don't know how far they were apart, but all of a sudden Jesus does something. Because he overhears it somehow. And then the moment he overhears it, he dives into verse number three. Because you and I, we open up Luke 15 and we go straight to the parables. And we miss the first couple verses that set the stage. Remember the details. Luke didn't want you to miss these details. And here in verse number three, then Jesus told them this parable. And that's profound. The Pharisees and Sadducees who are making a list. Jesus says, I have a parable to tell you. I have a story to tell you. As a pastor, people will come and they'll tell me sometimes that there's people in the church they don't like. They won't tell you. They're gonna smile, shake your hand, give you a cup of coffee, hand you a donut. But they'll come to me and they'll say, I don't like that person. And as a pastor, I get the gift of giving them perspective. And I'll say, oh, you don't like them? Can I tell you a little bit about them? Yeah, I guess. not going to change anything. And then I start telling them a story about how they're a single mom or about how they serve others and they're just homeless or about how, what they're going through. And immediately that person who thought the other believer in the church was a little bit rude, a little bit off-putting, a little bit off-color, a little bit inappropriate, their eyes begin to turn a little watery little red and they said I, I had no idea because a story can change how I feel yeah. a story drops my guard yeah. a story changes so Jesus instead of rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees you know what Jesus does he says I have three stories to tell you and it's a story to them but about them because Jesus the master storyteller and he dives in and says oh there was a shepherd once by the way, Jesus is called the good shepherd. There was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of the shepherds is lost. Thank you. And when the sheep was lost, what did the shepherd do? He leaves the 90 and nine and he went after the missing because Jesus wants to convey to the Sadducees and the Pharisees that the missing matter. You and I go day in and day out and we don't think about the missing out of sight, out of mind. And I'm trying to say through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we need to once again say as the church that the missing matter, the empty seats matter, the people who aren't here matter, the ones that are hurting matter, the missing matter. So Jesus is telling them a parable and he starts with the sheep and he tells them that one sheep was lost. But my friend, if you have 100 sheep, you're only missing one. One out of 100 is only 1% loss. That's an accounting firm. That's just a rounding error, 1%. How many of you, when you have $100, you lose $1? Like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's a dollar. Used to be able to buy a cheeseburger for a dollar. Can't do that anymore. Like, can't get a soda for that. So it's just a dollar. It doesn't matter. And here this shepherd says, the missing matter. And the shepherd leaves the herd and he goes after the one. And Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. We're the sheep. We're the lost one. 
And if you were a lost one that's found, aren't you glad that the shepherd came looking? Aren't you glad that he left those to go to you? Aren't you glad if you got saved and you're from a foreign country, that there was a missionary that left to go there? Aren't you glad that there was somebody that knocked on your door and invited you to church? Aren't you glad somebody sent you a text message and said, hey, come to church? Aren't you glad that somebody sent you a link to say, watch this, come visit here, hey, come to this revival? Aren't you glad that somebody went after you, that there was a shepherd that said, I care about yourself, health and well-being, and called you back to the sheepfold? You see, we're all like sheep. But sheep have a mind of their own, don't they? When things are lost, you try to retrace your steps, right? But sheep are hard to find. So he talks about the sheep. And then he talks about the coin. He says, there was a woman who had 10 coins and she loses one. And what does she do? She cleans the house. She begins to sweep. She begins to shed light. She begins to look, where could that coin be? Because those 10 coins represented her dowry. It represented her status. You see, sheep represents a career. That's what sheep were. That's your career. That was a livelihood. But the coin represented so much more because a woman in that day and age, she would wear it as a headdress. And if one was missing, that would say either they're on hard financial times or she's not been careful because she was handed that at her wedding. So this was a status symbol. It wasn't just your financial status, but it was also your status in the community, that your family wasn't poor and you didn't need to use your 10 coins, that your husband did well, that you did well. So it was a status symbol and she lost one. So she made diligent search until she found it and she found the coin and each silver coin was worth one day's wage. So she had 10 days wages that were in these coins. She lost one and she goes after it. But notice something that's happening. At first, you had one missing out of 100. So that's, what's the percentage of that? 1%. Now you had one missing out of 10. What's the percentage? 10%. But then there's something else. And then you have the son that's missing. And the Bible says that the son came to the father and said, Father, I want my inheritance. And so what does the father do? The father gives him half. Do you see what Jesus is doing? The value's going up. Our culture has the value all backwards. Jesus is saying the most value is on the son. The son, he, he took the most, so there's more value on the person. But yet you and I, we put value and status on our career and on our social status. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The son, 50% of all that his dad, his dad had, 50, half, it's all gone. And yet today we live in a day and age where we don't care about people. And Jesus is trying to say the missing matter. We need to care about people. Our church needs to care about people. You see, the sheep was lost. So the shepherd went and found it. The coin was lost. So the woman looked. But the son was not lost. The son wasn't lost. He left. But then the father knew that he was in a far country. This reminds me that no one is truly lost to the Father. The Father knows where we are. You see, the Father never loses one of his own. The Father knows right where you are. But as the loss grew greater, I love the story of the prodigal because the Father threw a party. So as the loss grew greater, so did the grace. It grew greater. So no matter what you've been through, God's grace is there. God's grace is there. And finally, this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time. And this is the question. I want to put it up on the screen. Do the missing matter to you? This is the question that the Holy Spirit, I hope, burns into your mind that the missing matter. Because we as a church, this is our mission. This is our mandate. That the missing matter in verse number six, the Bible says that the shepherd, when he finds his sheep, he finds his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Verse number nine, and when she finds the coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Verse 32 after the prodigal comes home, he says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
You see, I've lost some things before. I've never lost a sheep. I'm sure I've lost some money. I have lost a child, but we did find him. But whenever I've lost something and found something, I didn't call you guys up and say, hey, meet me at the church. We got to throw a party. Especially over a sheep. I would not bother you and say, hey, my sheep is gone, but I found it. So let's throw a party and let's eat the sheep. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't call you if I was missing one day's wage. I wouldn't call you and say, hey, let's throw a party so I could spend a day's wage to throw a party. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And the father throwing a party to celebrate his son just seems opposite. But here's what I realized. Here's what I realized, church. What gets celebrated gets repeated. You say, what do you mean what gets celebrated gets repeated? Jesus is trying to emphasize that we're in the business of finding lost things. So we celebrate it when lost things come back. And the church has to get better about celebrating instead of rebuking when people have been away. We need to celebrate and say, you came back to church. You came back to faith. Let's celebrate. But the church is real good at when you come back in. Where have you been? I just walk into here. I haven't seen you. You haven't been wearing your orange shirt. You've been ignoring your planning center invites. What are, you, are you just going to waltz on down the front road, lift your hands and worship? You kidding me? You're going to eat some of our donuts? I don't think you gotta, donuts are for people that have been faithful. Or we'll just sneer and jeer at people. Instead of arms open wide saying, hey, you're back. All right, this is awesome. Man, you made my day. This makes me so excited to see you. you see, Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees, guys, you got it backwards. We celebrate when sinners and tax collectors come home. We don't rebuke them, make them feel worse. Life does that. We welcome them and we celebrate. We throw a party for them. That's what we do. And what gets celebrated will get repeated over and over. But I love the value of the lost items is in ascending order of value. A coin is more valuable than a sheep. And a person is more valuable than a coin. And Jesus is trying to tell us that it's all about people. Now I know what you're thinking. When it's not your son, you don't see the significance of it. But I'll tell you, that person is somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. I listened to podcasts, and one of the podcasts I was listening to was Joe Rogan. And he said, you know what breaks my heart? This is Joe Rogan, not a Christian, not a pastor. He said, you know what breaks my heart? He says, when I see that woman cracked out of her mind, no teeth, digging in the trash, barking, doing crazy stuff, he said, you know what breaks my heart? That's somebody's baby girl that one day they were just a sweet, cute, adorable baby. I said, man, doesn't that wreck you? And I said, it may wreck Joe Rogan, but it doesn't wreck the church of Jesus Christ. Where the church needs to see that person say, that was somebody's baby one time. That was somebody's son whose heart right now is broken. And here the church, sometimes we can be callous, guys. We got to be honest. We could be callous. We could be callous towards those that don't attend. And we could be callous towards those that don't know what we know. And instead of being welcoming, we can be unwelcoming. We don't mean it. We're just focused on, oh, I haven't seen my friend. I want to see my friend. I want to get connected. I want to see how their week's going. And we miss the person that they're coming in and they're saying, God, this is the last shot. This is the last chance. God, I'm going to give you one more shot. And then I'm going to take a bottle of pills and I'm going to go to sleep and never wake up. Or I'm going to go to the woods and I'm going to take my life. But what if there was somebody at Southridge Church that said, you matter. I believe the Holy Spirit will prompt your heart to say something to that person that can change their life. The other day, God put it on my heart and said, there's this person. You need to text them right now. I said, Lord, it's early in the morning. I don't want to bother them. They happen to be on the East Coast. And they said, are you kidding me? This came at the exact right time I needed to hear this. 
Be obedient to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will direct you to say things, to do things, to help that person because you don't know what they're going through. And the church has to get back to saying, we are welcoming people. We're here to help. And at that moment, something begins to break open. You see, there can't be a celebration until we get serious about the Great Commission. Worship team, I'm going to invite you on the stage as we prepare to close. The question, though, is where are the missing? In this passage, it tells us where the missing are. You see, the shepherd had to go into the open country. He had to leave the comfort of the sheepfold. But then the woman, she had to search her house. But then the prodigal was in a far country. What God is trying to illustrate to us is that sometimes they're going to be close. Sometimes they're going to be in your family. And sometimes they're going to be far away. But the missing still matter. The distance shouldn't drive your devotion. But yet some of us, if it's too far of a distance, that affects our devotion. But the point Jesus is trying to make is that the missing are all over the map. They're near and they're far. And the distance you will go to find something is determined by your devotion. Our church is filled with emotion and low on devotion. Let me say it again because I'm not speaking about the big C church. I'm talking about Southridge Church is high on emotion and low on devotion. I'm speaking to you as your pastor. Hear me now. There are some of you that get all hyped up at a revival, but you're low on devotion. You wanna go from emotional high to emotional high, and God is calling you to a life of spiritual devotion and discipline. God has called you to live in dominion. You said you got freedom last week, but you already went right back to it. And I'm speaking to you under the power of the Holy Spirit right now. There are some of you that are already bound in the thing that you said last week, testimony, praise God, I'm delivered from, and you already went back to it because you did not exercise discipline or devotion. You got hyped up on emotion. And the church, our church, will never change San Jose if we're just emotional hype. If you just hear this message, you're like, man, Pastor, that got me fired up. And you do nothing with it. You don't pray for one lost person. You don't invite anybody to church. Then this message, you shouldn't have listened to it because now you're gonna be held accountable for it. Do you understand me, church? You'll be held accountable for what you know. You and I, when we got our driver's license, had to look at the California legal code to know the rules. So when we're speeding and the lights come on, we pull off to the side and we say, officer, what was I doing? And we bat our eyes. It doesn't work when I bat my eyes at them. And then they say, do you know how fast you were going? No. And then they say, you were speeding. You broke the law. I'm not ignorant. Because I say, oh, I didn't know how fast. I didn't know the speed. And then he could point to the sign that they posted. The knowledge was there. I'm responsible to follow it. Well, listen, church, we're responsible. We, hear, we, hear, we have the message. We're responsible. We're responsible. And it's not just my responsibility. It's not just the trustees. It's not just the staff. It's not just our life group leaders. It's not just our ministry leaders. It's each and every one of us. Together, we could do more. But we can't be this emotion to emotion to emotion. We have to be a church that says, no, we have devotion. You see, the distance you will go to find something is determined by your devotion. So it's whether it's in a far country or whether it's in a house, do I have the devotion to go after it? Because that's what matters. The church needs to say, emotion's fine. I'm not against emotion, but we have to have the devotion that says, I don't care if things aren't exactly how I need it. I'm going after that lost person and I'm gonna do what it takes to reach them. I'm gonna do what it takes to find them because they need Jesus. It was 2006. It was my senior year. I went to a small Baptist Bible college in Lancaster, California. That's where I met my wife. And I had a bus route. I was a bus captain out in a little town called Lake Los Angeles. And I want to write on the city sign, liars, there's no lake. About 11,000 people. It's mostly the pedophiles, rapists from LA that they put out there. 
bunch of illegal criminals. But yet we had a bus route that would drive out there, pick up boys and girls and say, do you want to go to church? A few people lived out there. And so one Saturday, I was going to go knock on doors and invite people to church. So I got in my little Ford Escort and I drove out there. It's about 17 miles outside of Lancaster, middle of the desert, nothing out there really. And the homes are pretty spread apart. You couldn't walk a neighborhood track. You would, you would drive between the homes because they were living on several acres. So I get to a home and I pull up and I park and I begin to get out and I have a little New Testament, not a Bible this size, I have a little New Testament because at that time you didn't have phones with the Bible on it. So you had a little New Testament. And I had my little New Testament so they, they knew why I was there. And I walk up to the house and I knock on the door and I say, hi, my name is I'm from Lancaster Baptist Church. I just want to invite you to church. And immediately she says, sick him. She pulls back the door and three pit bulls start chasing me. I run for my car because she was not playing. Man, you never seen a white boy run as fast as I ran. I ran, I jumped on my car, they were barking. And then I got inside, man, I drove off. And I was like, Lord, she can go to hell. I, that one, but she didn't know. She, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, kick off the dust off my shoes. I'm out. But God had called me to that little area. And the next weekend, I felt the prompting, said, go back. I said, Lake Los Angeles, I'll go, I'll go back. And God said, no, 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 to her house. I said, no, sir. And God said, no, no, you need to go back. So I go to the same house. It's a white house with blue trim. It was up on the hill. I go back, and sure enough, I knock on the door. She doesn't even say hello. I don't even get to say my name's Makai. I'm from Lake House Baptist Church. She opens the door and outrun the dogs. And I run for my car. I get in. I'm like, God, are you serious? God, we, this is the second verse, same song. I've, I've done this. I'm good. How many chances are you going to give this woman? And I left. And a few weeks went by. And then God gave me an idea, Josh. He said, get her a Marie Callender's pie. So that's what you need to do, Marie Callender's pie. I'm a broke college student, Josh. I don't have money for a Marie Callender's pie. So I was like, I gotta figure out a way to get some money for a Marie Callender's pie. As a matter of fact, that was the impetus. When our church first started, we used to give Marie Callender's pies out. Anybody ever get a Marie Callender's pie from us? A few of you got your pie. There you go. Now you get coffee. Enjoy. There's a budget. And I show up with a Marie Callender's pie. I was like, she ain't going to stick her dogs on me now. Because I, I opened the door. I said, hey, I have a pie that I'm going to give to you. Don't have your dogs chasing me. She opens the door and she says this, no joke. She says, what did you do to that pie? I said, I didn't do nothing, even though the thought crossed my mind. I'm just here to give you a pie because I'm trying to be nice to you. Lord knows you need somebody to be nice to you, at least to your dogs. I gave her the pie. Well, my senior year, I would go back regularly just to visit with her, try to tell her about Jesus Christ, how he loved her, how he died on the cross to forgive her all her sins, and how her name could be written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Eddie, the entire year, she never came to church. She never prayed a prayer. She never trusted Christ her Savior. I went by one last time, and I said, I'm leaving. I'm moving to San Jose to start my ministry. But I want to invite you one more time to my church. I want to tell you about Jesus. And she says, no, thank you. So I started my ministry at Liberty Baptist in San Jose, California. And I started serving. And we hired an intern. His name was Anthony Aiken. Anthony Aiken was an intern at the church. And then he decided to transfer colleges, the one he was going to in Florida, to the one that we went to. He and I would stay in touch. And one day he called me up and he said, Makai, you won't believe it. He said, man, I led somebody to the Lord today. And I said, Anthony, that's amazing. Leading people to Jesus, that's awesome. He said, yeah, it was incredible. He said, you know, this woman was just ready to get saved. I said, Really? Tell me about it. He said, yeah. They hand me a map, and I looked at the map that I was supposed to invite people to church because they had it zoned off, and it was Lake Los Angeles. 
I said, oh yeah, single lady? He said, yeah. I said, three mean dogs? They said, they weren't mean. I said, oh my goodness. I said, White House, Blue Trim? He said, yeah. I said, up on the butte? He said, yes. He said, Micaiah, soul winning's easy. People just ready to get saved out here. I said, I got three torn pants that would beg to differ otherwise. Little dog bark bite marks. The missing matter. But I can't just be emotional and say, oh yeah, I'm fired up to go tell people about Jesus. I got to be willing to go after him day in and day out. I got to go after him, Dorothy. I got to tell him about Jesus. I can't wait for some TV preacher. I can't wait for one of you. It's my calling to go, and it's your calling to go. And we got to tell people about Jesus. This world is waiting. They matter to Jesus, but the question is, do they matter to you? And when they start mattering to you, that's when everything will begin to change. Because they will see that for whatever reason, no matter what they've been through, they'll see that you, you somehow care about them. And that's going to get through to their heart. And maybe you won't be the one to see them bow their head and close their eyes and watch as the hot tears stream down their face as they repent and receive Christ their Savior. But maybe you'll be the reason that when they're standing up in glory and you get there and they say, yeah, that person prayed with me, but that was the person that led me to Jesus. It was her that led me to Jesus. Day in and day after out, she was in my office. They were my neighbor that mowed my lawn. That was the neighbor that fixed my car when it was broken down. That was the church member from that little crazy Southridge church that came by every Thanksgiving, dropped off a Thanksgiving basket. My family had nothing, but they kept showing the love of Jesus. We would swear at him, curse at him, but man, they kept on serving because they said that the missing matter. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand that the missing matter this morning. And when our church realizes that the missing matter, all of a sudden, the missing won't be missing anymore. Amen? That's the goal. There's 460 seats. We got room for a few missing in this church. And when we fill it up, we'll fill it up again with more missing. When we fill it up a second time, we'll fill it up a third time with more missing. And then we'll talk to Mr. Gimbal and say, hey, take down these section close signs. We're going to pull back the balcony that we got back there. And we're going to say, we got room back there. And then we'll turn on the TV screens in the lobby and put chairs in the lobby. And people could sit out in the lobby and hear the message. And when we fill up the lobby, we're going to tell the Spanish ministry, you're going to have to meet and take the auditorium because they're going to fill up the auditorium. And then we'll put people over there. And then maybe we'll have to clean out the half dome and have to have multi-simulcasts over there and put up chairs. And maybe we'll have people out in the parking lot because we're going to have so many people that they're no longer are missing because our church got passionate because we realized that the missing matter. Amen. Stand on your feet with me if you would. Father God, may our church get a vision for the missing. May our church get a vision for the hurting. May our church get a vision for those that are far from you. They are living a life that even they know is bad. But may we be the love of Jesus. And may we be your arms, your hands, your feet, your mouthpiece to remind them that they matter even if they're missing. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to take that Who's Your One card, hold it in your hand. I want you to pull it out. Ushers, if you have these Who's Your One cards, can you prepare to hand these out, ushers? If I got any ushers in the house, grab these cards. And if you need a card, I want you to get one. Just look at an usher. Make eye contact with them. Say, I need a card. I need a card. Get a card. If you need a card, I got more right here. I got more right here. There's a big stack. Thank you, Miss Sonia. Thank you, Miss Sonia. Make sure everybody gets a card. I want everybody to have a card. I want everybody to have a card. Everybody's got a one. You got a mother, you got a brother, you got a sister, you got a cousin, you got an aunt, you got an uncle. I don't care if you like them, love them, or hate them. Everybody's got a one. I want you to get that card. What I want you to do right now is I'm going to pray that God would give you a name. And I want you to see that person in your mind's eye. I don't care if they live in the United States or their other side of the world. I want you to get a vision for that person.
And I want you to ask God to say, Lord, show me the person that I need to pray for over the next 30 days. And then I'm going to encourage you to invite them to Southridge Church. And if you can't invite them to our church, that you're going to invite them to church. You're going to share the gospel with them. But I'm going to encourage you to write a name. I got a name. I got a name for mine. And right now, I'm going to invite you to write that name down on the card. Go ahead and tear your card off and write that name down. Write that name down. in a rush. The chili's just getting warmed up and served. We're good. Write down a name. Get a name. Father, give him a name. Holy Spirit, show him a name. I, I know some of you like to write ten names. Just put one. Just one. Not ten. Not two. Just one. I want a new card for every name. Don't write a bunch of names on one card. Get another card and write their name. I want one name, one card. One name, one card. And I want you to get hyper-focused on that one. This is somebody who's not saved, not somebody who's sick. This is somebody you say, they are not saved. That if they were to die in their sins, they would split hell wide open. That you're praying for somebody that you know they are not saved. That's the one you're writing down. And if you need multiple cards, we got plenty of cards. All right. Here's what we're going to do. At each side of the platform, there's a little orange box of pins. And as we sing a worship song, I'm gonna invite you to slip out and you could grab a pin. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna stick them to this wall right here. You can stick it on this wall and you can stick it on that wall. You're not gonna mess up the wall, don't worry. Nobody's gonna get mad. Angel's not gonna yell at you. The worship team's going to play, and I'm going to invite you to slip out. And our church is going to fill these sides with names. And then throughout the week, I'm going to invite you to pray over that name. Our church is going to pray over it. The worship team, would you lead us? And you slip out right now to my left, to your right, and put your name on that wall. We're going to see it all throughout the month of October. But let's sing and worship. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.